Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. This bonus episode of the podcast is part of the Working Through It series, a seven-part multimedia experience of curated content to help us work through this time of tremendous personal and organizational change. Now this episode you're about to listen to, it's from part six, but you can see all of the content from the previous parts at culturefirst.com slash working through it. And while you're there devouring all of the amazing content that we've created, make sure you subscribe to get all the future parts delivered straight to your inbox. All right, let's get started. Hi, my name is Srinivas Krishnamurthy. I'm with CultureAmp, and I'm working through it by reminding myself that this phase will pass. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to the Culture First podcast. This is part six of our Working Through It series, where we're going to be focusing on the radical evolution of high performance. Now, I started recording these Working Through It episodes in March of 2020. Since then, we've put out 11 episodes in 11 weeks. And my first reaction to that, honestly, is, whoa, (laughs) that's a lot. And if you've been listening to all 11, then like, seriously, thank you. But my next reaction is one of gratitude. I feel an incredible amount of gratitude to have been your host on this journey, as we've all tried to work through it during this time. Now, I'm not going to get all nostalgic right now because I do want to tell you that in the coming weeks, I'm going to be doing a whole episode dedicated to packaging up my favorite moments from the Working Through It podcast. So I'll save all of my reflections for then. But I thought it was important to pick out two key themes that I've been trying to weave into these episodes because they've been helping me work through it during this time. Now, the first theme is about helping me work through it in the moment. Each of my guests have shared stories that have helped me work through different situations with a really actionable step. An example of that would be the breathing exercises that Dr. Wendy Suzuki taught me in episode one. I found myself going back to that episode and re-listening to make sure that I'm actually focusing on my breath and taking the moment to help my brain work through it during this time. And now the second theme that I wanted to bring your attention to was really on the other end of the scale. And it's about rethinking entire processes, entire systems, and entire beliefs that just don't serve us anymore. What we've seen in 2020 is a belief that the world as a whole and the world of work can and should be a fair and more equitable place for all of us. So I share these two reflections because this episode falls into the second of those themes. Today, we're going to tackle how to rethink performance management in 2020. And this leads me to welcoming my next guest. My guest for this episode is Srinivas Krishnamurti. Srinivas, or SK as he's affectionately known, is incredibly passionate about creating a more equitable and fairer performance management system. Now, he's so passionate about it that one day he actually decided to create a company called Zugata to tackle this exact issue. Fast forward a few years, Zugata was eventually acquired by Coltramp, which is the producer of this podcast. So in this episode, SK and I talk about a lot of different things, so I wanted to give you a bit of a sneak peek into what we cover. SK shares the performance appraisal conversation that left him knowing that there had to be a better way to do this. You'll hear his reaction to when he got a pay rise on a post-it note. We'll also discuss why you need to know the difference between performance management and performance development, and whether your performance processes should be taking into account the lived experience of your employees. We're also going to be looking at the subject of organisational justice and what role should software play in reducing bias. So as you can see, we covered a lot of great topics. So whether you're sitting down somewhere with a pen and paper, on a walk, or listening while driving, it's time to dive straight into my episode with Srinivas Krishnamurti. So, SK, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the call, man. 
So you're one of only, now I think only three Coltramp employees who have now been on the podcast. So I know I typically reserve these interviews for people outside, but there's a, there is a particular reason that I do want to have you on as we talk about the future of performance and where it's going. But before we dive into all of the different topics that we're going to cover today, I have to ask you my favorite question. It's the question that I've asked every guest and it's imagine a 10 year old walks up to you and says, excuse me, SK, what do you do for work? How do you answer? Wow. Um, look, I think um, the way I think about what what I'm trying to do at Culturamp and, and part of our vision is we're trying to help organizations and people live up to their potential. So let's get back a few years. What was 10-year-old SK like? Because I've known you for the last couple of years, but I'd love to know what was, you know, where were you, uh, you know, and what what was your sort of vision for the future? Wow, as a 10-year-old. Um, so look, I think my background is, um, interestingly, my parents were both teachers and I was born in Boston, but my family moved back to India when I was about a year old. Um, so as a 10-year-old, I was a kid growing up in India. Very different world than uh, the world that we live in today. Um, and I think um, my uh, my recollections of being a 10-year-old are, you know, just a happy-go-lucky kid, um, a bit of a prankster. Uh, has a reputation at school that if you sat next to me, you probably would get yourself into trouble because I'd probably do something and sneaky enough not to get caught. And people around me are probably laughing and doing something else would probably get caught. Uh, it was always like social distancing around me at school. Nobody wanted to sit too close to me and get themselves into trouble. But but just uh, it's, it's, it was uh, it was a happy you know childhood, you know, um, uh, but a bit of prankster in me even now, I think. So there was, uh, I guess, proximity issues being too close to SK like if, if, if you got within six feet you potentially were going to end up in in detention yeah that's probably it. but it, it's just weird time to be talking about that now <laughs> but uh but in those days it was like you'd, you'd, you'd get yourself into trouble and then um I'd love to kind of know uh there's we've been operating in, in like HR tech circles for a while now and like one of the most like common kind of phrases out there is this idea of in the flow of work so I'd love to kind of know, like, when you're in a state of flow at work, what might you be doing? Yeah, for me, the the, the passion for me, I've been in product management for a long time. So I've built a lot of products for various companies. And I think for me, like, the, the Zen time for me is really when I'm, like, problem solving. Um, and I think for me now, I've kind of gotten to a stage where for me, it's, it's really about helping my team problem solve and kind of getting into the nitty-gritty details with them and helping them you know, solve problems is where I find the most amount of joy. Um, and that that's when I feel like really like into it, I'm getting my best, you know, self to work when I'm actually solving problems with, with uh, the people that I get to work with. So I would love to know a little bit about, um, as we kind of go from 10 year old you to state of flow you to now just like the background story that like, you know, when it comes to how you eventually ended up at Coltramp. But before we kind of get there, I want to go back because, you know, we're talking about performance management, performance development, and I'd love for you to paint a picture, you know, for good or bad reasons, the most vivid memory that you have of one of your first performance conversations with a manager. Probably not the first one, but there are a couple that led me to believe that there's got to be a better way to do this. I'll give you two specific examples. One time I remember my manager came to me in my office with a little post-it with uh, my new salary information, gave that to me and say, hey, SK, you're doing great. Here's your new salary. Now we're done with the performance review. I'm like, is that it? I mean, like, you know, it's such a missed opportunity, you know? Um, sure, I got a pay raise. I was happy about that and all that. But largely speaking, I, was, I just was kind of bummed that it, it wasn't a more meaningful conversation. Mm. That was one. And if that wasn't bad enough, another one was I actually found out about my pay raise by looking at my bank statement. My manager hadn't even gotten to like giving my performance review before my salary was effective. And I was like, man, that's like, it can't get any worse than that. Um, but I think just broadly speaking, though, like my own experience has been that once you're a manager, probably the most important, one of the most important things that you do or you are expected to do where you can actually have a big impact is, you know, how you work with your directs, right? How can, how can you give them feedback? How can you help them you know, do their best work is really where you're going to be. Your success is dependent on making them successful, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that's the struggle with, that a lot of managers go through in that I remember when I was first promoted, I was not pro promoted because I was going to be a good people manager. 
I was promoted like in my early life because I was a good developer. They wanted me to lead a team. Now, I wasn't really equipped to manage people. That was not the skill set that I had. Um, and I think that's what most first, second time managers go through is they're, they're promoted to lead people, but that's not their strength. Yeah. And so they end up making a lot of mistakes. Um, and, and it's such a missed opportunity, you know? Uh, and so I've always felt like, look, product, you know, performance management is one key thing that every company does. Every manager has to go through it. Every employee has to go through it. And if you don't do it well, it's such a missed opportunity to drive impact. Uh, and I've been thinking about it for a long time. And, and eventually I uh, said, you know what, I'm actually going to try to go solve this problem myself, which is when I split from my previous company and, and started Zgata. And the vision always was around how do we use performance management as a way to help people get better. That's got to be the essence. It's not about getting a poster with a new salary. It's not getting a pay raise. It's really how do we help our people actually get better um, has been the vision. And, and fortunately, even with CultureAmp, that vision still stays. And that's really what we're after is how do we use this You know, when it's done well? How can we actually drive performance? How can we improve performance for our customers as being the focus for us? Yeah, and like, like you said, there was two opportunities there where you were being recognized for good work and yes, money and pay raises and all that like plays an important part in you know being recognized for the work we do. But outside of that, it's also a conversation about why, like what you know, what what were the behaviors? What were the things that you did? How were you showing up for your for your team and your work? What was the impact that you were having? You know, that's what we what, that's what we remember. We remember the people who say like it's yes, you got this, but you know, it's because of those reasons. And um, you know, that's just so critical to like. You know, to me, like the memories I have is when someone said, like, you know, it was this project or this moment or in this meeting when I really saw you stand out as a leader. And you're like, yeah, I remember that. And like it paints a vivid picture of like yeah, the impact exactly. that you had. Yeah. And it's it's really about like, you know, it's 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 telling stories of the behaviors that led to your success. Right. Like mm. if you say, hey, you did well in that meeting. That's great. Good to know. But like, I don't quite know what part of that I should replicate again in the next meeting, you know? So it's really about giving feedback about behaviors that you've noticed and the impact those behaviors have had, right? Whether positive or negative. And if you get feedback in that manner, then you kind of know what you should do again or what you shouldn't do again, because you understand the behaviors. You can control behaviors, right? Yeah. And so that's the way I've always thought about it. It's like, how do we give feedback in a way that people can actually act on it? That's that's the key part of feedback and, and, and performance management as well is it's all about how do you like tell people what they should do again and help them understand why that's good or tell them what they shouldn't do again because they understand what's going to happen if they did that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just learnings along the way. And I think when I talk a lot about building a culture first company and moving from, you know, a lot of it's from moving from the foundations and the words that you are trying to like, you know, ag agree upon into turning those into behaviors. So like another one is from organizational values. How do you turn values from banners into behaviors? How is it something exactly. that we agree upon, willing to stand behind, but then actualize through our behaviors? And um, yeah, I think that's why thinking about how you've thought about, you know, performance uh, management versus development, which we're going to get into um, in a second from your time at Zugata and now at Coltramp is like, um, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is like, not only did you like see this problem and something that you were sort of, you know, you, you then went and built a company about it. <laughs> and like not many people like get so passionate about a subject so much that they actually want to go solve for it as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like, if you look around the world today, Every company is a tech company, right? It's not just the Silicon Valley, you know, um, companies. Every company's got technology. Every, everybody, in a sense, the vast majority of the workers are knowledge workers, right? And so the question, when you when you talk to CEOs or heads of people, they always say, hey, people are our most important asset, right? And yet what they do to actually help their people get better is actually not that great. We don't invest enough in our people. And if not for the people, we don't have companies anymore, you know? And so it's really about not only about like recruiting and getting the best people in through the door, but once they come in through the door, they're in your control. Like how can you help them be the best that they can be so that, you know, they have a fulfilling career while they work with you, but the company gains. It's, it's, it's a win-win, right? Uh, and so it's really about how do we, I felt pretty passionate about that and said, look, that is the opportunity. That is what uh, the industry needs is a way to help our people, you know, be uh, the best that they can be and reach their potential. And how can companies enable that? How can we create an environment 
and give them the tools such that they can actually do their best work every single day. Uh, and that's really been, you know, the mission that we've been on for a while. So before we radically redefine what's possible when it comes to performance, which is kind of the overarching theme of this episode, I thought it was important to at least, I always love setting some structure and foundational elements to each of these episodes so that people, you know, have that same level of context. And unfortunately, it would take a whole episode for us to define check-ins, OKRs, goal setting, continuous feedback, rating scales, 360s. So if you want to learn more about that, I'll put a uh, link (laughs) in the show notes. But one thing that I thought was really important to get across is two terms that get used interchangeably a lot, both from practitioners as well as the scientific research perspective of performance, which is performance management versus performance development. So I would love to kind of just hear from you why there's a difference and why we should think about them differently. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, right? Um, and, and the industry is evolving too, right? There's no quite set terminology just yet. But performance management, when, when most people talk about performance management, it's really more of an HR-driven thing to to do a couple of things. One, obviously, you've got to do the pay raise, merit increases, bonuses, and all that stuff. So you need paperwork for that. Uh, or a way to measure performance, right, to be able to reward, you know, for your performance is, is one aspect of performance management. And then the second aspect of performance management also is, look, there's going to be a bunch of low performers and you have to do something with them. So how do you figure out who your low performers are and how do you put together a plan? How do you have documentation that proves to you that these are low performers that you, you know, you're acting on. That's the traditional way it's being thought about. And, and I think the shift is people, companies are realizing that when you scope it that way, you're missing out on looking at performance management and what it could be from an employee standpoint. Sure, employees want to get rewarded, right? They want to get a poster with the new salary. All that, that, that's good, right? But I think the missing option, what employees have been saying for the longest time is, the way to think about this is nobody comes to work thinking, you know what, I'm absolutely going to do rubbish work today. Nobody comes to work thinking that. Everybody's trying to do their best work. Everybody's trying to get better. And so that's the missed opportunity. When you think about performance management more as a way where you're going to reward high performers or you're going to punish poor performance, then you're not really helping the people get better, right? And so the shift over the last, I'd say, 10 years or so has been how do we think about it from an employee standpoint? What do the employees want to get out of performance management? And pay raises is one aspect. And the second thing is, how do I get feedback? How do I get help such that I can do my best work? And so this whole notion of performance development being a big focus of the performance overarching performance management process is something that's been talked about over the last, I'd say, 10 years or so. And it's starting to get you know a bit of traction. And the interesting thing that we've learned is there are companies who've said, look, we don't want to do performance ratings. There's all this baggage with ratings and rankings and all that stuff. And a bunch of companies have ditched performance ratings and completely gone over to the other side and said, okay, it's all about development, right? We're going to help our people get better. And it's going to be all hunky-dory. That doesn't quite work either, right? Because at the end of the year, you still want to you know, reward people. Uh, and there's got to be some structure to that. Um, and so I think you know, the worst thing that some companies have done when they've made that change is, they still do ratings. It's just that they're not telling their employees that the ratings are happening behind the scenes, which is probably the worst thing that you can do, right? Uh, these shadow ratings are really bad. And so in a sense, an ideal performance management process, when you think about it more holistically, needs to account for both, right? Mm-hmm. One is like, how do we actually help our people get better? And that sense of like helping your people get better can't be once a year conversation or twice a year conversation. That has to be more continuous, right? Because you want your employees to learn and grow all the time. Right, not in six-month increments that's in line with you know HR processes. And the flip of that is you still want to reward people. You know, this pay for performance is a pretty widely accepted, you know, um, thing to do. And so in order for you to do that in a very efficient, effective, you know, bias-free way, you still have to like, you know, um, somehow measure performance and be able to reward that. And that happens once or twice a year, depending on what you want to do. So it's 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 how do you combine these two processes processes in a way that makes sense is really what the next generation of performance management is going to look like. And then I was looking at some of the latest, uh, you know, I think there's an interesting tension point between like academic research about what makes performance and high performers. And then there's like the research, which is more based on what is actually happening at the practitioner level. And then there's just our experience as humans and like how we just try to show up every day. And, um, you know, someone that I know, you know, and I know pretty well is uh, Kathy Anderas, who's the vice president of talent and workforce Research leader at Deloitte Consulting and Deloitte's Human Capital Reports have been consistently, in my perspective, pushing the envelope about 
sort of talking about high-performing teams. And um, their most recent research on performance management found that high-performing organizations are orienting performance management towards a really clear purpose and a mindset of growth and progress. And I think what was important there is like, so clear purpose is that like that alignment piece you were talking about? Like, do we know that there is like, do we know there's rating scales? Do we know there's these things in place? Do we have the same targets in mind? And knowing that it's a mindset of growth and development and, you know, the organizations who are instilling a growth mindset in their people, this enables individuals and groups to sort of own their own feedback and process and development and make sure that they're actually like your coaches and your leaders feel empowered to help teams. And when I was looking at some of this research, it was reminding me a lot of um, what I think is one of the most inspirational CEOs that I've had the chance of interviewing, which was uh, Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD40. And like, he jokes like, you know, yes, it's that company that makes oil in a can. And when he talks about building a culture of like development where they're growing, they call the moments, um, they call it learning moments. And these are the moments mm-hmm. where employees have a chance to, whether it's because they've you know, made a mistake that they can learn from or they've seen some behavior that they want to repeat that they want to learn from. So to me, I think that's, you know, it's important that we like look at that research, but then like actualize it by actually saying like name it and like they name it by saying this is a learning moment. And then that to me, is how you create a, like a culture of performance development when there's consistent behaviors that you can name and see inside of a company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't uh, emphasize that enough. And it, it, it's it's just, ultimately, it's like people will make mistakes. I mean, that is just human nature, right? If, if your people are not making mistakes, then you're not trying hard enough. You're not shooting for the moon, you know? And so in a sense, culturally, companies need to like, you know, create an environment where people feel like, hey, it's okay to make mistakes as long as I'm learning from these mistakes, mm. right? And and so in a sense, a lot of the research also talks about like, how do you create a psychological safe place for the employees to like learn and invest in themselves without everything being judged and everything being used to like, you know, their evaluations. And, and that's the wrong way to have people think about growth. Uh, there's a lot to be said for people just growing for the sake of growing versus growing for the sake of getting a pay raise at the end of the year. You know, you've got to separate those two things. And it's it's uh, it's kind of an ironic time to be talking about building walls, but like there's got to be a wall between how you're going to be evaluated and how you, we want you to grow, mm. you know, um, and and kind of setting the environment such that people can actually invest in themselves is, is really powerful. When I... Uh, two reflections on what you just said. One, the shoot for the uh, stars thing. It was actually my first ever work experience I did. I worked for a sports management company. Like they represented sports stars uh, back in Australia. And at the end of my work experience week, I was like 15 years old or something. And they gave me a card and it said, uh, shoot for the moon, even if you miss your land amongst the stars. So I went straight back to my childhood when you said that. Um, And then, um, you know, I think after that is also just this, understanding that like you know we are humans and we do want to develop and grow and we don't know where that learning and growth is going to take us like i i studied film and tv in in high school because i thought i wanted to be in the film and tv industry little did i know 10 years later all of those skills where i was just following my passion helped me actually transition into like a digital marketing role and a storytelling role and like everything i'm doing now like so much of the fundamentals of how i even approach a podcast interview goes back to the things i learned about how do you write a film Right. So yeah, yeah. you need to just trust your employees to be able to learn new things so that they yeah. can grow and develop into the employees that you need them to be one day, even if it's not in their job right now. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's key, right? Like, I mean, if you assume that your employees join or, or come to work with the right intent, how you then think about managing them changes very drastically, right? If you're like over concerned, like about like protecting against the negative or the risk, you're kind of leaving a lot of growth, you know, on the table. Instead, if you assume positive intent and help people, then, you know, like magic happens, you know, and and that's the mind shift that companies have to go through to get the best out of their people. So we've set some foundations for performance management versus development. We've talked about like how we can think about this at the organizational level as well as the individual. Now it's time to touch on some subjects that don't get talked about as much and we're going to start radically redefining performance. So the first one, I'm going to throw some different scenarios at you. The first one that I want to kind of talk about was, you know, I'm an Australian expat living here in the United States and there's this story that's gone on for a long time that you know, Americans are way better at selling everything, including themselves, <laughs> than yeah. Australians are. And, you know, we even have a term for that uh, called tall poppy syndrome, where if Australians get too big for their boots, we cut them down to size. But 
you know, when you think about performance um, processes, you know, being able to talk about your accomplishments and reflect on your impact is a core part of the self-analysis needed to, in in that process. And I'm wondering, is a radical take on performance that we should be actually training or have software that teaches us to better showcase our own skills and worth? Yeah, absolutely, man. That it's look, uh, the top puppy syndrome is is obviously Australian, but that kind of you know um, notion exists pretty widely even in the states. Like if you if you look at the research, there's a bunch of research that's published that talk about how women are not as great as men about talking about their accomplishments, right? They're they're a lot more humble about stuff that they've achieved, and that kind of holds them back, right? Which is crap. I mean, that that's not the way it should be. So in a sense, as we think about performance management, you know, the processes and how we ask questions matters a lot, right? So don't ask people to say, hey, you know, talk about your greatest accomplishments, because then, you know, research basically says men will just, you know, write like five pages about how great they are. And women are not going to be as expressive. They're not going to, you know, showcase all the things that they actually have done. And so then the question becomes, how do you ask them? What do you ask them for, right? You know, uh, and, and how do you... Um, prompt them, how can software, how can the vendors actually help you is is absolutely critical. And we're doing a lot of work in that front. And I think one of the things that excites me about, you know, uh, CultureAmp and how we're helping our customers with performance management is that we have a huge people science team that actually partners with our customers in terms of like, hey, how to ask the questions to get, you know, past these biases that have existed in the workplace or in society for that matter for so long. Um, and so in a sense, you know, we're, we feel like we're kind of chipping away at this problem, uh, but there's a lot more work to be done. And, and we're certainly, you know, we're pumped about, you know, in, like more holistically, if you think about it, not just in the context of self-review, but there's just so much inequality in this world right now, right? And so the bigger opportunity for us as CultureAmp is, um, and it's not even an opportunity, it's really a moral obligation that that we have to society is to be able to like help women, you know, uh, you know, different ethnicities, age groups, there's so much bias that's baked into these performance management processes. So how do we chip away at it? How do we help companies make these performance reviews really fair and objective is, is, uh, is the crusade that we're on. I mean, that's such a meaningful thing for, for companies like CultureAmp to be doing. Yeah. And we're certainly going to touch a little bit more on organizational justice and bias and just like why, why it's so important. And, um, yeah, like you said, like, Whatever your platform is, whether it's a person with a podcast versus a software company versus the CEO, like when you have a platform that impacts how, like the experience people are going to have at work or the stories that, that they tell themselves about their work, then you need to be thinking about all those subjects. And when I also look at some of the other debates that have kind of been going on for a long time in the sort of um, wider HR industry, and we've sort of touched on it a little bit, but one of them is about scrapping ratings completely you know we've seen famous case studies companies use scrap ratings and then there's been a lot of articles written about that but i wanted to hear um from your perspective you know from this debate about like why are ratings actually important to audit for bias yeah so it's um i think i touched upon this earlier the ratings are kind of a crude way to reward for performance right like you know, sure, you can focus on growth and all that stuff, but ultimately people do want to get a peer raise. They want to get a promotion. And you want that process to not be subjective, right? It cannot be just because your manager liked you or your manager's manager liked you that you get promoted, right? That's that's not a good thing, right? So you want that to be based in data. You want it to be fair. You want, to be, you want it to be objective. And, and at the same time, you want it to be consistent across different managers as well, right? There are some managers who are very easy with you know how they treat people and how they give out promotions, and there's other people who are not as easy, you know. And in an organization, you can't have that inconsistency. And so, in a sense, the performance management process and ratings and the calibrations that people do after the ratings are put in place is a way for us to um, be consistent in terms of how we're measuring performance across the entire organization. And using the same, you know, uh, metrics and and same um, processes to like reward performance. So we're of the opinion that even though we want you to invest more in helping your people develop, you still do have to do ratings. But the guidance that we provide is when you're doing ratings, you have to worry about making sure that they're going to be fair, objective, and it's it's well defined. You can't change the the goalpost. And so be very clear in terms of how performance is going to be measured. Make it very clear to your people. 
and then make sure that your managers are consistent in terms of using the same you know uh, heuristics to measure performance. And then if we were to keep playing bingo of things that we see on conference presentations over the last decade, I think another one that has come up a lot is this idea of bringing your whole self to work. And I've certainly said on this on the podcast before that I'm not sure organizations or leaders have always been ready for what that actually means in reality of like bringing everything about yourself to work. And some would argue that maybe 90% is fine. Maybe we don't need the final 10%. And there's some things that we should, you know, so but we're not going to debate whether we should or shouldn't be bringing our whole self to work. The, I guess the future of the performance space question that I've got for you about this is, you know, is there a place for your whole self, your humanity, your lived experience in a performance development process? Absolutely, man. Look, you you cannot take somebody's experience and their history out of the equation, right? You don't like humans are interesting because we have emotions, we have background. We're not robots, right? Like if you just wanted to get the part that actually does the work, then go hire a bunch of robots, you know? Um, once you have people, it, you cannot like expect them to, you know, just show up to work and ignore everything and just work. Um, so I think the the notion that you know you have to bring your whole self is something that I I buy into, and and it's not even your personal experiences outside of work too, but even within the context of the workplace, there are things that affect performance, right? So like one of the examples that I think about is, you know, in the Bay Area and around the world, like there's been a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion. People are talking about like, hey, we need to have more women in leadership roles or more women in in engineering roles, right? Uh, or the pay inequality is also, is also a big topic and all those things need to be fixed, right? But the thing that I worry about is even if you fix all those things, but the culture is not inclusive, then you're not going to get the best out of these women, right? You can hire the most wonderful women that you can, but if you're not going to listen to them, then what's the point of ha- hiring all these women? They're not going to be able to do their best work. They're not going to stick around. So in a sense, you cannot think about performance you know, in isolation of everything else that's going on going on around people that have to do the work, right? Whether that be at work or at home. And so in a sense, all these things are very interconnected and you have to think about it a lot more holistically. And um, it's it's all about like the environment has such a big role to play uh, in, in how well somebody does their work. So, um, and, and then that's the opportunity that CultureAmp has, right? With our engagement product, we're able to like get feedback in terms of the environment and how we can make the environment, the company better in terms of how it can support the people. And then with our performance product, we're actually you know, able to help people do their best work by giving them the health that they need. And it's that combination. It's, it's really about thinking about those two things holistically is um, is what excites me about the work that we're doing. Yeah. And I think looking at the, the whole is so important. If you're if you focus only on uh, pipeline and putting DNI budget into diversifying pipeline and spending a lot of time that, and then the moment someone enters the workforce, they don't feel like they belong, they don't feel like they're included, they feel like, like very clearly feel like a culture ad. And, um, you know, like culture fit versus culture ad was another debate that we've spoken about for a long time. But then if you feel like you've been added once you're there and you're like, I don't feel like I can actually truly be myself here or feel like I belong, then all of that work to diversify the pipeline, if people just start leaving straight away, is not fixing it, which is why we need to be looking at holistically how do we actually you know, bring our lived experience and be rewarded and recognized for everything that, that we bring to the workplace. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's like I, the way to think about this is diversity is actually a strength. Right, diversity could be gender, it could be age, it could be ethnicity, it could be your experiences, you know. Because based on who you are and what, how you've gotten to where you've gotten, the way you think about solving problems is very different, right? And if you have diversity of thought processes in in, in a room, that's when the best ideas shine, right? Like, and and so in a sense, don't think of diversity as something that you should do, but think about diversity as something that you should have, and that's a strength, right? We do a whole bunch of other things to get unfair advantages in businesses, right? Whether it be how we think about pricing or packaging or channel strategy, whatever, all these things, at least perspective, those are all the types of things that we think about in order for us to get an unfair advantage against the competition. But if you think about it from a CEO perspective, one of the the, the strengths could be the diversity of our workforce and how the, the diversity of the thought processes that people bring to the table is actually a strength. And that is how you can actually like compete better. Um, so it's something that we've got to embrace and there's a lot more work to be done there. So as we look at, I wanted to touch on now, organizational justice and bias. But before we kind of get into those subjects, I think 
another thing that is really important and um, a a word that needs very clear definition and understanding inside of the company is the idea of like what actually is a contribution um, and, you know, what are we rewarding and recognizing for? Because I think we, we touched on it at the start, like a clear purpose and standard of what performance looks like means that like no matter where you are, what office you're in, who your team lead is, it's like you need to know what a contribution is and how to be rewarded and recognized for that. And, you know, I'd like to believe that every organization that's trying to put culture first wants to also be a high-performing company. So at the core of that, they also need to know what does high-performing look like. And I want to know from your perspective, you know, why is defining uh, what a contribution is so important to ensuring that you actually have an equitable performance system? Yeah, it's it's the transparency, man. I mean, this is the organization's organizational justice that we talk about, right? It's There's a bunch of research that's published that basically says, look, if the process is clear and everybody is you know understands the process and you're consistently enforcing the process, then people who let let's use ratings just for the simplicity of the discussion. Even if I get a three rating out of five, because the process is transparent, because I understood the process at the beginning of the of the cycle, I'll be okay with getting a three, right? Because everything was out in the open. But if I didn't know what what is expected of me or the goalpost changed, or I didn't know how I was rewarded a three, and I don't have the trust in the organization to, to know that that three actually is my three, then you kind of don't trust the organization, you don't trust the process, you don't do your best work, because it just feels like things are outside and beyond your control, right? And so a lot of the the, the organizations that, that we're working with on the performance side understand that, and they're making very clear, hey, these are the expectations, right? You know, this is the level that you're at. These are the behaviors. This is what we expect from you. And all that is out in the open. And when it's open, then you know what you're shooting for. And then, you know, with the with the product that we have and, and the processes around the product that HR teams have built, you know, there's a level of like, hey, I know I'm going to be treated fairly. You know, the, the systems are actually helping with removing the bias. And that's the work that we're doing is how do we remove all the biases that creep in? And bias is human, right? It's not like people are trying to be nefarious. It just happens. We're not thinking about it, right? Like nobody's going to say, yeah, you know what? I'm biased. Nobody's ever going to admit that. But when they write feedback, when they give feedback, you know, it kind of seeps into the system because it's been so systemic for so long, right? And so a lot of the work and the opportunity for, for uh, organizations is how do we kind of identify that? How do we nip that in the bud? How do we make sure that, you know, the, the ratings that we're doing are consistent and fair and objective uh, and all it all goes back to like setting those objectives up front. And then for anyone who's just uh, hasn't heard the term, or, or, or oh, it's even hard for me to say, for anyone who hasn't heard the term organizational justice um, in relation to performance or um, in, in relation to, to business, can you just give like an overview of like how you think about it and why you think it's so important? Yeah, it, it's um, organizational justice basically says, look, when you're, when you, communicate when the process is transparent people will have trust in it that that's that at a very very primitive level that's it right is people will trust the process if everything is transparent and on the up and up and if it's not if organizational justice is not served if the process is not transparent you don't know what you're shooting for you don't know how you're going to get graded you don't know what's going to happen then you feel like you're a victim of the process rather than you know you're getting the benefit of the process and then I know we've been looking at, um, you know, the role that like how bias is showing up both in just like as as humans, our natural biases that are going to be coming out in performance processes, as well as just the way that we're using software. So um, I've got a question which might sound a, a little bit kind of um, extreme, but I would love to like kind of know like straight up whether you believe that the like the majority of performance management systems and strategies are actually racist. Wow. Look, I'm not sure they're racist, um, but certainly they're not as as objective and fair as they should be, right? And and maybe it's it's um, you know it's not you know maybe the bias is not based on race, maybe it's based on gender, it could be based on age, right? There's so many different types of biases that come in. So I think the better way to frame your question is it's it's whether performance management is biased, right? Biased for various things. It's not so much just racist, but um, there's, it's it's not fair and equitable 
to everybody in the organization, I think is is where things are today. And then I know we've um, seen so many studies that have shown that, you know, women are more likely to receive feedback about their personality where men are receiving feedback about their contributions, which is another way that, that these biases are showing up because men are being seeing these contributions aligning to, to, to rating scales and to promotions, whereas personality is really hard to say, like, that's worthy of a promotion. So, you know, what role, um, from your perspective, should software play in actually training people how to give unbiased feedback that shifts from personality to actually contribution? Yeah, absolutely. So before we even get into what the tool can actually do to fix it, I think the first step is to help organizations understand that it exists. Because everybody that you talk to, they're like, we get the research, but our org is actually not quite like that. We actually have this under control, but they don't, right? It's hard to measure bias. It, it, it creeps in so much. So, you know, we had done a bunch of work um, with natural language processing and things like that to to look at the feedback that's written about people within different organizations and to be able to classify that as, hey, this is about your personality or this is about your work, you know, and, and to be able to, to give percentages, you know, uh, across different departments, for example, you can say, hey, in customer success, when w- women receive feedback, X percentage is about the personality and Y percentage is about their work. And then in the same department, let's look at the feedback that men received and are there differences, right? And then how does that compare to like maybe the engineering org or maybe the marketing org or maybe the HR org? And just kind of the first step is always like shining a spotlight on the fact that this thing exists, right? Because if people don't acknowledge that, then they're not going to fix it, right? So a lot of the work that we have done there is really to understand and you know show that to people and say, hey, you do actually need to work on this. And, and we've also done work to, to figure out like not only when you receive feedback, but also when you write feedback. You know, like, how do you think about that? So when men write feedback about men versus women, like, what do they focus on? And then the flip of that is when women write feedback about men versus women, how do they think about that? And that's really interesting to understand the psyche of people as well. Um, all these things are published on our website. But so so that's step one is really like identifying and letting organizations know that, look, they're, they've got things to work on, right? That's step one. Step two then is, you know, uh, how do how do the systems, how can you create the systems and the processes to actually, you know, prevent this from happening? And so that's where a lot of the work that we're doing with our people science team is really about how do you ask questions, right? If you don't ask questions the right way, then the answers that you're going to get are going to be very, you know, biased in a sense by the writers themselves without, you know, women kind of tend to hold back, men tend to boast, right? All those things kind of creep into the system. So how do you kind of prevent that? That's step one. And then step two is when you do ratings, you know, how do you look at in aggregate, are women like what, what I'd love HR folks to be thinking about, the folks who are running performance reviews to be thinking about it is to be able to compare the ratings distributions of men versus women and say, hey, statistically, are enough women getting five-star ratings, right? Are all five-star ratings going to men and women are like stopping at four? That'd be an interesting thing to find out. And it's not just men and women, like maybe if, if the gender is like, you know, non-binary, are we kind of holding them back? Are they like even, you know, are we just without even thinking about it? Maybe like there are no five-star employees, you know, when the gender is, is non-binary. Like that's interesting for us to know, right? And so then how do you aggregate and help the organizations figure out what's happening uh, and then kind of help them with, with you know, talking through it? Uh, and and being able to like and and maybe you could say look maybe we didn't have you know any you know old colored people who were not five star employees maybe that's fine but like let's talk about the fact that nobody was there and what we can do to help our people so it's just having more conversations we just need to acknowledge the problem uh, and talk it out and figure out like how we can actually help these people you know get to the next level like that's fundamentally important to actually creating a more fair and equitable world that we know can exist. But when I think about also what's happening this year is that, you know, we, uh, for so, so many companies have gone completely virtual, you really need to be looking at the holistic systems that you have and how this is showing up because you're not seeing that visual representation in the office as much anymore. You're not getting any of that anecdotal feedback that you're maybe using or sure. you were once, you know, and like all of that is also biased as well, which is why like in some ways we've kind of democratized the employee experience when everyone is working from home, everyone's just in front of a laptop. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you haven't um, 
an equal kind of say right now just because you're an equal face on a screen. But like, you know, there's still so much work that we have to do to remove some of those biases. But looking at the system as a whole, looking at that analysis is so important, especially when a lot of the old containers of like, we saw them in a meeting and they seem to be like doing a great job or like we're there for the presentation, which was creeping in as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, I think there's there's so much room. I mean, or, or putting it a different way, there's so much inequality in this world. It's just it's stunning, right? And it doesn't have to be this way. And I think organizations like ourselves, whether we think about ourselves as either a vendor or just a, a company where people work, I think every company needs to really reflect on the inequalities that exist. Not just in pay, not just in the the numbers of men versus women and, and ethnicities and things like that, but really about the feedback that we're giving, the development opportunities that we're giving, uh, or, or just the opportunities for growth, right? And, the, and and promotions that we're giving to our you know um, people is is just so critical. And I think it, it's 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 obviously better for the business. There's a lot of research that talks about why this is good for business. But I think the bigger thing really is it's a it's it's a moral obligation. Like, how can we like look at ourselves? How can we go home and say, look, you know, we have inequalities in our, in our workplace, and we're not doing anything to fix it, right? So I think that that's something that companies need to like really reflect on, and we we all kind of owe it to ourselves to to kind of you know make a big dent. And it, we're not. It's it's look. It's been it's it's been around for so long. We're not going to fix it overnight, right? So it's going to take a while. But we all need to like hold hands and say, look, we're in it. Uh, and keep chipping away. Every every cycle, every performance cycle that we do is an opportunity for us to like fix it. And even if it's one small way, even if like one person or two people are impacted by the changes that we've made, that's progress, right? So the the way to think about this is such a big problem, but don't be like daunted by how big the problem is. Keep chipping away, you know? And even if one person gets the benefit, mm. it's worth it. And then I'd love some, I've got these two rap- rapid fire questions. All right. Uh, so we'll get, SK's hot take on these. Uh, how will everything that we're working through in 2020 contribute to a fairer and more equitable performance process? Wow, rapid take on that one. Um, <laughs> that's a tough one, man. I know. Um, the, the the key thing to, to think about is a lot of the work that we're doing is really about removing bias in, in the process, right? And and so that's the contribution that CultureAmp is going to make to to our customers and to, to society broadly is how do we create the systems uh, in place to to identify bias and, and to help companies uh, fix it. That's that's probably the area where we're kind of betting the farm on and hopefully that'll have you know a small impact in the world. And imagine that I've just bought you a billboard in every major city around the world and it says the future of performance development is dot dot dot. Finish this sentence, SK. Performance development is helping our people reach their potential. That, that sounds like a society, a culture, and a company that I sort of want, want to be in. So, as we wrap things up, um, is there anything that I didn't ask that you would like me to ask, or any questions that I didn't ask that you would like me to ask in terms of just framing something that's really important to you? No, look, I think the the key thing is performance management is it doesn't have to be a tactical thing that we do year after year, right? Where you're just checking out, a, you know, filling out a bunch of forms and, and doing it for the sake of HR. And I think when it's done well, it could have such a strategic impact on a company and a profound impact on, on companies and how they, you know, how they can create an environment where people can actually do their best work. So I think my my thoughts are, Think about the role performance management could play and and don't sell it short. It could actually turn into a meaningful thing that actually moves the needle, um, especially when you think about helping your people develop, helping you know organizations think about how they can remove bias and make the process more fair and equitable. It's such a key, it, the performance management has, it can play such a key role in making a, a dent in that. So I'd encourage people to, to think about how they can actually leverage this process to be more strategic and more profound for the company. A big thank you to SK for joining me today on the Culture First podcast. If you're still listening, then hopefully you know that this was not a podcast disguised as one big ad for Coltrane's performance software. Yes, the reality is that SK is the VP of product here at Coltramp, but that's not what this was about. 
This was about a debate about the future of performance. And I'd like to think that I didn't go easy on SK when it comes to the really important subjects like how to reduce bias in your performance management process. So as we wrap up this episode, I wanted to leave you with four of my key takeaways from this episode. First, your success as a manager is about making your direct report successful and that the core of your performance conversations with them should be the desire to help them get better. Secondly, make space in your one-on-one conversations for growth and learning that's not directly related to employees' current performance. Encouraging our employees to learn skills outside of what they need to know right now is what I believe helps organisations have adaptive workforces that are resilient and ready to grow into the new opportunities that will present themselves. Now, if you're thinking, how do I create a culture of learning? Well, I've got a quick little bonus for you. I truly believe that creating a culture of learning can be as simple as asking this question during meetings. What's one thing you learned this week? Creating a culture of learning really just starts with saying and recognizing that we are learning all the time. So that question, one thing that you've learned this week. Now my third takeaway was I left really inspired about the role that software and training can play in helping all of us write about our accomplishments better as well as scan for biases and discrepancies between demographics. And then finally, if I was to try to sum up this episode into one takeaway for you, it's this. Performance doesn't have to be a tactical thing that we only do according to a set cadence. How might we rethink our performance conversations so that that it can actually have a profound impact on the meaning that we gather from our work? How might we have a performance process that's motivating, fair and equitable? Well, I do believe that when approached in the way that SK talked about, that rethinking performance can be the lever that helps your team reach their full potential. And all of that can start right now with your next one-on-one conversation. So as we wrap up this episode, I'd love for you to share any thoughts that you have by using the hashtag CultureFirstPodcast and tagging at CultureRamp and at DamonKlotz. My LinkedIn and Twitter is open and I can't wait to hear your stories. A reminder that there's a lot of great content that goes with this episode and you can find it all at culturefirst.com slash working through it. If you've enjoyed this show, then it would really mean the world to me and the rest of the team who works on it if you were to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And then finally, if this episode has helped you work through it and you want to share a small act of kindness with a manager that you've had in the past who's had a really great performance conversation with you, maybe share this episode with them. Thank you again for listening, and I'm going to be back soon with another episode of the Culture First Podcast.